Welcome to The Story Tinker, a place for in-depth analysis of stories, including Midnight Poppyland, Purple Hyacinth, and more. Co-hosted by sharp, witty, and dare I say, thirsty fans, we dive deep into every episode, analyzing character, relationship development, and so many theories. You can follow The Story Tinker right here on YouTube, as well as all podcast platforms. You can also follow The Story Tinker on Instagram and Facebook. For bonus content, sneak peeks, and more, you can support The Story Tinker on Patreon. If you like what you see, please like and subscribe. Thank you for listening to The Story Tinker, and let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 38 of the Purple Hyacinth on The Story Tinker podcast. We are here with Fire Dancer, Bundan, and Flute. Hello. Hello. We're super excited to do this episode. It has been a long time coming. We may have had to reschedule this like three times, but we are here. (laughs) All right. Yeah. So we open up with the morning light streaming into the window, a beautiful domestic scene, which we hopefully replicated many, many times in the future of Lauren waking up (laughs) in Kieran's bed. Only next time, Lauren waking up alone. (laughs) Why do you want her to be alone? Right. No, Kieran has to be there with her. No, nah, there has to be a set of blue eyes behind her. Not just She's in a eyes. single bed. She needs to be literally on top of him to be like in the same uh, bed. I'm like, the closer the better. Like, oh my god, we're like a minute into this and I already regret signing up for this episode. Oh my god. You knew. You knew. I should have taken episode nine, not 90, oh my god, 37 as a warning. I should have taken 20 as a warning. I should have have my reactions in this episode like I did for episode 20. You could have quit, Foo. It's all on you. You you take responsibility for your... We had to reschedule us so many times. Honestly, you had so many outs. (laughs) So many missed opportunities. (laughs) So anyway, we have this beautiful scene, Lauren waking up. Well, first Lauren's, her eyes are closed. And she's looking so at peace because we all know this is the most sleep she's ever gotten. She had a beautiful restful night in Kieran's bed. It's the magic bed. She could only sleep in that bed. <laughs> and she wakes up and she's a bit confused for, she's like, hmm? looks around and she sees that she is in a room filled with books. It's delightful. I love books. And as soon as I saw this room, I was like, I am so much more in love with Kieran now because I love books. <laughs> Anyone who reads yeah. books goes up like 10 points 100 points in my eyes same my husband walks around with a book all the time <laughs> he has observed giant stack of books from him oh. at his like just his current reading which isn't even supposed to be upstairs but whatever That's see nice. he is a man of culture you want to hear the titles sure <laughs> Fine, now let's totally interrupt this thing. Okay, so this is actually the only fiction he reads. Oh, Brian Sanderson. My brother forced him to read it because my husband does not read fiction. It's probably the second fiction book he read in his life. He read The Chosen and he is now making himself read Lord of the Rings and he's reading this. Then The God of Old Inside the Lost World of the Bible, probably biblical, yeah, James Cogold's biblical criticism. And we have Philosophical Foundations for a Christian Worldview. We're Jewish, but my husband reads a lot of Christian philosophers because he's a philosopher. Natural theology, which is all about um, discovering God through the natural world. Norman Geisler, systematic theology. Really into theology. Yeah. Interesting. Is kind of like a super genius. Hell yeah. 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 In in that one topic. Um, He also can't like do basic things, but he 
he's a super genius so he has all that <laughs> and that's usually how it goes yeah mm -hmm. yeah anyway sorry sorry guys now we'll go back to the other book lover lauren wakes up and she was like huh and then she sits straight up in bed with this confused look on her face Nani. <laughs> Yeah, because you're like, oh, where am I? And what am I doing? We're in Kieran's shirt in Kieran's bed in Kieran's house. <laughs> and she thinks to herself, oh my God, I'm still at Kieran's place. The look yeah. of just complete like shock and like yeah. dread. <laughs> no, the yeah. fact that she slept in and did not wake up at the crack of dawn. I mean, it is pretty early still. The alarm yeah. clock says. Yeah, hold up. Wait, the there is a clock. Yet? Don't we see the clock uh, at some point? I'm pretty sure they yeah, do. Yeah, I think it's, it's a like little further down. Five. Oh, yeah, because after we cross yeah, the tag, Elizabeth gives me the ticking yeah, of the clock and stuff. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if we can always trust the clocks because the clock in the office often says like five o'clock and like mm -hmm. in when they're coming in in the morning. And it's like, y'all are not coming in at five o'clock in the morning to the APD. Well, I mean, this one I remember it actually works because like it's yeah. like just past the title and stuff. The first thing we see is the clock and it's about like four or five minutes past oh, six. Okay. Yeah. And then I, later on in the chapter, it's maybe ten minutes. That past. one is a so yeah, that's like no, one of the things I remember being like, oh, because they directly draw attention to the clock. So I guess they knew they had to make it accurate, which is yeah. great. Yes. True. <laughs> and he has a cute alarm clock too. I like mm -hmm. Kieran's taste. All the more reason, you know for us to like him <laughs> people with good aesthetic sensibilities are always good and moral and you know the connection <laughs> get you a man that has immaculate interior decorating skills <laughs> mm -hmm. so Lorraine gets up and starts taking a look around the room and she sees you know there's like a brick wall and a bookshelf and another bookshelf and there's you know books on the table and there's books on the chair and you know she walks over to the tape books on the chair and she picks them up and she sees the man who laughs by ed rubacher and the killing joke by alan moore so guys i think this is the beginning of our introduction of the books that we see in kieran's house so i took up with these books from the library and i had them in my house for literally months because and they kept renewing them for me and they didn't charge me i finally returned them last week but because i wanted to see what was in them so have you have you guys read them? I haven't yeah, read no. The Killing Joke, but I'm very familiar with the plot and what goes on in it. It's a very famous Batman comic. Yeah. And it's got the famous thing with the Joker taking the picture on the cover. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. yeah. So when I saw this and I read this, it was like a parallel. Because he already made a Joker parallel in episode like 19, where he's like, Have you uh, have you danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? That's like a thing from like the 1989 Batman. I like Batman. So <laughs> Yeah, but I, The Man Who Laughs, I know, is also like a Joker reference too, mm -hmm. so. so. Yeah. Do anything you want to take on explaining the plot of these books or do you want me to do it? Because you, you should. Fine. Yeah, you yeah. should probably do it. You got the I, books, so you, yeah, you know, like, that's you a read You read them, because like, I haven't read them. I haven't read the books, but I read like the synopsis and like the whole plot overview. So like, I know a bit about it. There's also a movie for The Killing Joke, but don't watch it. It's not very good. They added dumb stuff to the beginning to pad it. So just like cut the first third out and just get this up with like Batman. That's that's the only good bit. 
Mm-hmm. So, so when I, I read The Killing Joke and it was literally the first Batman comic I ever read and I was like freaked out. I had to close the book several times as I was reading it because I was like, this is so freaky. So yeah, I'm not watching it. But here's, here's the basic plot. Basically, um, we see it's the Batman, sorry, it's the Joker's origin story. And it tells us that he was a, he was working at this factory, but he decided to quit to become a comedian. And he was a failed comedian. People apparently didn't find him funny. And you see him talking with his wife and he is miserable and he, you know, feels bad about himself. He's like, nobody laughs at my jokes and everyone, you know, just, uh, they don't find me funny. And like now I don't have enough money. And his wife tries to, who's pregnant tries to comfort him. She's like, oh, don't worry. But she basically tells him you're good in the sack. So that's okay. I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't think that's the most comforting thing but okay and so you know he's a man who at this point doesn't feel very good about himself because he quit his job to like do something that didn't work out and he decides to turn to crime to get some money and he goes to these men who tell him hey we just need you you worked in that factory so you know how to get to the factory next door and that's what we need um put on this red hood you know we have this red hood character and you know every time it's someone else you just put this red hood on lead us to you know you know the security code or whatever lead us past your first factory to this other chemical factory and you know we'll pay you and he's like are you sure fine yeah okay he's gonna do it because he wants the money and then what ends up happening is his wife dies in like a freak accident and the guys tell him like the hoodlums he's like oh, well, I guess I'm not doing it anymore because I don't need the money anymore. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, you said you would do it. You have to do it or we'll kill you, basically. And he was like, oh, okay, fine. And he goes that night and he's still in shock and grief over his like wife who just died. And he goes in and their mission turns out to be unsuccessful. Like the lock has changed and the police pursue them. And he ends up falling into this vat of chemicals. And when he comes out, he emerges as the Joker. His face is disfigured and now he's the Joker. So that's the backstory that is in the killing joke. And when it ends up the present time, you know, the backstory is kind of interspersed with what's happening in the present time. And what's happening in the present time is that the Joker has been, um, he's kind of been, somebody else was switched for him in the prison and he's out of the prison. And then Batman, when he goes to visit him in prison realizes it's not the actual Joker. And now he has to find the Joker. The Joker starts doing his reign of terror in the city. One of the things he does is he, okay, this is actually in the man who left. So, but anyway, so in The Killing Joke, what he does is he buys this abandoned circus and he, you know, it's run down and it's not safe. And the guy who sells it to him is like, are you sure you want to buy it? Like you'll need a lot of renovations before it's like, you know, habitable. And he's like, it's just perfect, right? He's all into like the danger of the broken rides. And it's like really creepy. And he hires this motley crew of um, circus freaks, basically. Um, they seem to be, not just like physically deformed, but also like morally deformed. They're not, not very nice people, it seems. And he, what he ends up doing is he barges into the, um, Inspector Gordon's house. And Inspector Gordon is already an older man at this point. And he's sitting there with his album of basically like all the news articles about the Joker and Batman that he's gathered over the years, um, all their stories and escapades. And he's looking through it with his daughter, Barbara, when somebody comes in, kidnaps inspector gordon and um <laughs> not very it's it's really very quite gruesome they shoot barbara barbara's lying there on the floor like on the glass shattered coffee table like lying on shards of grass in pain and like clutching her abdomen where she's been shot and then the joker comes and the joker or his minions i don't remember and they basically kind of like undress her and take pictures of her like naked while she's like lying there bleeding out 
it's it's very 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 intense and then he basically lures um bat he with inspector gordon he's trying to lure batman to the the abandoned circus and what he when he brings gordon there so he he humiliates gordon he also like undresses him and he puts him like in this choke like this choking collar leads him around on a chain he's and he's standing on a throne with like a, on a pile of babies it's it's just it's just very 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 grotesque and um he's trying to break gordon down and then he puts him on this roller coaster ride with a bunch of like gremlins and goblins and as he's on this roller coaster ride he basically gives you a philosophy of life and he says that what's the point of being normal because the world is so crazy and the world is so terrible that it's more rational to be insane and any normal reaction to the world would be to go insane and basically like i went insane because of the grief and tragedy that happened in my life i want everyone else around me to go insane so that i can justify my own behavior and so that i don't feel bad about all the evil that i commit because what he says is all it takes is one bad day and gordon is to him is the epitome of the law and of morality gordon's always trying to do the right thing and save people and he wants to break him down and make him go crazy so while he's on that crazy roller coaster when he's you know founding his philosophy like through the megaphone he also shows him those pictures that he took of his daughter and he right so he thinks his daughter is dead and obviously it's very humiliating debasing photos of his daughter and at the end of it gordon kind of doesn't say anything and like he's you know his head is down so the joker thinks and he puts him in like a cage the joker thinks that he succeeded that he has succeeded in breaking him down and that vindicates him somehow and then batman shows up and they have this fight and they talk and you know batman and he joker tells him you know oh don't look i managed to break gordon and but the thing is is that when batman came in he found gordon and gordon was not broken gordon tells him you know this is what happened and he says you know, go apprehend him, but he tells him, do it by the book. We have to show him that our way is right. So no matter, even though the Joker tried to break him down and did like the coolest things possible to him to try to strip away his humanity, he was not successful. Gordon survived that ordeal and he still wants to be moral. And he told him to still keep the law. And so they have this, so Batman tells him that he's like, no, you didn't succeed. And then Batman reaches out to the Joker and he tries to tell him, he says, you still have a chance. He's like, we could still help you. He really, it's, it's like amazing. He says, we can, we don't have to do this. We don't have to keep fighting. It's going to end in both of our deaths. We can help you. We can get you mental health help basically. And it doesn't have to be this way. And the Joker says, nah, too late. And then it ends with that, you know, classic, like, did he kill him? Did he not kill him? Yeah. Because he tells him, the Joker tells him a joke. It's not very funny. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's basically it's a joke also about mental illness and about joining people in mental illness. He says, um, the joke is that two thieves were climbing. Uh, they wanted to like climb, they were during their thievery, they wanted to climb across like something that they couldn't climb across. So thief one says, hey, you know, I'll use my flashlight. I'll put my flashlight on. There'll be a beam of light and then you can climb on it. And you know, then we can get across. And the second thief says, are you crazy? You'll turn it off when I'm on the beam. So, right, the joke the whole joke there shows that both of these people don't have a grasp on reality. And the second person doesn't trust humanity anymore, that he doesn't trust that people will be there for him to support him, that people will just betray him. So it's a very bitter, cynical joke. And the whole premise of it is based on insanity and on irrationality. So that's why it would appeal to the Joker because, and on, I actually don't know anything about the Joker and Batman beside these two things that I read, because I don't do that. But the Joker is clearly a man who has lost his grip on the world and has given up on things being straight and things being right because of things that have happened to him. 
And honestly, I think because of the choices he made, like he didn't have to quit his job, but, and then the Batman, you know, stands for justice. He stands for what's right. And at the end, you know, you don't know, Batman laughs along with him because I think that there's, you know, Batman is someone who can understand that this is, this is where the Joker is at and that this is, he has to just, you know, join him or pretend to join him because he's never going to reach the Joker. He's he's gone. Like his rationality and his humanity is gone. And then he picks him up and you don't know whether he killed him or not. Because yeah, like, like he puts the out. hands on the shoulders and it's like, is he just holding himself up from laughing or is he going to like choke him? One other thing about Barbara, I just want to say, because she's actually Batgirl in the comics. And then after this event, they kind of made that canon. This is kind of like a semi-canon thing. This comics are like weird like that. But she becomes paralyzed from the shot because it goes through her spine, but she becomes another hero called Oracle, which is like the guy in the chair type of thing, like hacking and doing all kinds of stuff. So I like that. That's cool. Still made her a hero. And she's in a wheelchair and stuff. So, but yeah, it's a messed up story. But yeah, you can infer a lot about that. <laughs> but yeah, what do you guys think? I have my theory about what it means to the story, but let's hear from you. Yeah, with Kieran, I feel like it could be a sign almost of his perseverance like he will not be broken like it didn't take one bad day to like destroy him like he's probably had a lot of terrible days but he still maintains his morality and stuff and I feel like that is mm -hmm. the main thing in terms of him from the story yeah yeah I agree with that I it's like there's two ways you could look at it. You could look at him on more of the side of like him taking from the story, like what Bundan said. It's um, it doesn't have to take just one bad day. If you keep your morality, you can do good. But it could also go the other way and say, um, one bad day you could snap and you could just go insane from it all. Mm -hmm. I mean. I think someone can have good morals and still be capable of bad things. And then someone can have bad morals and also be cap cap capable of good things. Like, although likely unintentional, still happens. Like, mm -hmm. you know, someone can try to help the world and end up only harming it in the process. Then, you know, someone who maybe just trying to help themselves may accidentally help who knows how many other people in the process though. It does seem rare first one of people with good intentions doing bad things seems much more likely especially in ph with you know the leader and the people a lot of people in phantom side whether it whether it be there they're there for social change or that they're there for money because they can't support themselves any other way mm -hmm. so i actually think the killing joke um the joker in the killing joke is talking about the leader because mm -hmm the Joker started out making a bad decision. You know, he quit his job to become a comedian, right? He quit his job mm -hmm. to do his passion and he, he didn't succeed. He wasn't good at it. And instead of going back to work, he chose to do crime instead. So that was a bad decision, but you know, you can say it wasn't, it wasn't like a crime of violence. It was some kind of crime of theft or whatever. So it was sliding scale, you know, going down a little bit. But then what ended up happening is that because it was combined with the tragedy that happened to his wife, he went insane. And, you know, I don't know if you could say like, 
is he then not responsible for his actions? I don't think so. I think he gave up and decided to not even try. And I think that very much parallels the leader because he probably started out with, like you said, a good intention or not so bad intention. And the way that he went about it was not a good way, you know, um, but it was probably not so bad. But then it seems like he went insane. And I don't remember exactly what happens yet, but like, we probably can't say what happened. I don't think we found out about it here yet in episode four, um, 38, but something bad happened and that triggered him. And I think ever since then, he's just been insane and he does terrible things with his organization because he's lost his grip on, on reality and he's lost his morals because of what happened to him. So mm -hmm. that's my suspicion of how this relates to the story. I don't think it talks about Kieran. I think it's talking about the leader. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I yeah. can see that. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I, I remember like, um, looking at this story the first time when I first read this episode, like I, I thought of it and I'm just like, oh no, is this a warning? I, I don't know, but like looking back on it now, I kind of see where you're coming from on that. And that makes, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then if joke, if Joker is the leader, then I tend to think of Kieran as maybe Inspector Gordon in a way where it kind of like. Yeah, that's what I kind of meant with it. It's like Kieran is the one who's like, they tried to break him, but he wouldn't break. So in yeah. a way, that is kind of what it is. It's like, he's linked to the leader. You know, his whole thing is against the leader specifically. Mm -hmm. so it could be like a parallel there with that. Definitely. And then, so Batman would maybe be Lauren, a vigilante justice seeker. I don't know if there would be a specific parallel to Lauren, maybe. Yeah. Like, you know, teamwork and stuff. Yeah. It could, it could either be, it could be Lauren or it could be like the law or something like the side that Lauren fights on I suppose I actually thought that that the Gordon would be like the APD like people like Herman or March because you know who do things by the book because Lauren and Kieran are not doing things by the book but yeah I mean it's it's a metaphor right we can't I don't think we can say everything is exactly you know connected but I think we can draw some ideas from it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so do you want to hear the story of the man who laughs it's, it's much shorter sure. yes. yeah I don't know that one as well but I know that that is like uh, another Joker story Mm -hmm. so the man who laughs is much more simple um it's basically you know he's a, the joker is on the run again and he's taken over um he's threatening some some people who are in positions of power in the city um and they're not portrayed very lightly so this is kind of like they're the rich people they're the people who own like you know these big factories and big businesses and they're kind of like snob not not snobby but like they're arrogant characters so that definitely ties into like think the, the purple hyacinth story where like the rich people are are kind of uncaring and um unknowing so the joker threatens those people and what he does is he somehow infects them with his poison that makes them die laughing and they all turn into him when they laugh mm -hmm. uh, when they die they their face also becomes white with the green and the red lips and everything so um you know it's also i think a little bit of an analogy of, like i want to take everyone down you have to be like me like no one's he's jealous of this, like a sour grapes phenomenon. He's jealous of their success, jealous of the position they hold in society. So he wants to take them down and make them be like him. And then he threatens Batman actually, or rather Bruce Wayne. Um, Bruce Wayne pretends to be insane and he has, uh, he pretends to have that happen to him so he can escape, um, pretends to turn into the Joker. And then his butler helps him out. And he has like a flashback of when his parents were killed. Um, you know, they were walking into an alley and he sees them getting killed before his eyes. Um, not so, so sure how that's relevant, but that maybe. 
And, um, you know, because we know Kieran maybe had his parents killed in front of him. We assume he had this very tragic background. So um, that may be a connection. And um, then he ends up discovering that um, he sees him studying. He finds like his office, basically. And he sees um, maps of the, the sewer system underground. And he realizes that he plans on poisoning the water supply. And with this poison, it makes everybody like him and die laughing. And he discovers him about to pour the poison in there. And he has like poured the poison into like the reservoir or something. And he's about to like open the floodgates. And he um, he has this choice, right? He's got the Joker. He's, you know, they've been fighting and he's got him. And he thinks to himself, oh, it would be so easy to just throw him into the poison. And he would die and then the problem would be solved. And then he chooses not to. He says, you know, I have to do, I have to do the right thing. I have to put him in prison. And um, so that's what ends up happening. So the way I think this is related, this goes to your theory of the underground tunnels. And I think the whole, that theory, you know, with perhaps being, you know, using the underground tunnels to either poison the city or just as like the, the we know the Phantom Scythe uses like underground tunnels. So I kind of think that may be the connection. That could be it. Yeah. I, I see the parallels between like the Joker being like the leader again or, and then, um, I was like, I think as you said earlier, like Batman could represent Kieran where it's like pretends to be with him and then later comes around and stabs him in the back. And oh, one, mm -hmm. no, keep going. Mm -hmm. one point that haven't I forgot is that the Joker at some point goes to this um, house for like the criminally insane and he hands them a bunch of guns, like automatic rifles and he lets them loose. And again, it's like more of his philosophy of trying to wreak havoc on the city and just bring everything down because he can't handle the fact that everyone else has a normal life and he doesn't anymore. And he just takes like the people who really have no capacity, equips them with, with you know, killing machines and lets them loose on the city because he just wants chaos, right? He's the opposite of, he doesn't want there to be order in the world and to be right and wrong, to be reason because that goes against his philosophy because that would show him him to be an evil person. He'd rather have everyone else be evil and chaotic and crazy than to admit that he is in the wrong. Yeah, about the tunnel theory, it's a bit, it's a bit like you know later, pH content. But yeah, now that you mention it, it's, it's pretty sus. Like, seems like a very heavy plot point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and. And those of you who saw my very long presentation also know that I read the Victor Hugo novel, The Man Who Laughs, and I'm going to make a whole separate video out of it because they already had their presentation ready. So all of you who are watching this, there's a separate video that is all about Victor Hugo's The Man Who Laughs and how I think it may be related to the story. <laughs> so you can check that out separately. <laughs> should, I, should I do a very short synopsis of it here? <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, do it. <laughs> So basically, okay, relevant, the parts that are relevant to the story is that um, there is this child whose face has been disfigured and into a permanent laugh, and that's why it's called the man who laughs. So this is taking place in England in the latest 1600s, and he grows up, he's um, basically ends up using the people who disfigured his face as kids, they did this to present this person as like a freak and like a show and this was how they would make money. And this was something that was done to him as a kid. And he ends up being adopted by this very kind man 
and they that isn't how what they do to make money but it's kind of like he reclaims it because he does it willingly and he does it as part of this whole nice elaborate show and so it's kind of no longer necessarily a point of humiliation for him in that sense but it's a permanent disfigurement and he's considered very ugly by everyone else um and lots and lots and lots of intrigue which i'm not going to get into but basically we learn that he was the son of a noble who was a a Republican, which in the context of English society, and they they deposed the king. The king killed King Charles the first, mm. and Cromwell. like Cromwell, oh, Cromwell, yeah, as the Republic. And then they, when they reinstated the monarchy, his father, Lord Clancharlie, had exiled himself to Switzerland because he did not support the monarchy and he didn't want to go back to the monarchy. So he was a staunch Republican, and he um, did not he didn't want to, unlike many of his fellow nobles who switch sides again, basically once the monarchy was back in power, he refused and he was staunch to his values and he stayed in Switzerland. So it turns out this guy was his legitimate son and the king, King James II, had found out that he had had a son. He was upset. This guy, you know, is a regicide and he disfigured this child because he didn't want him to inherit his father's estate and his title as, uh, you know, as a peer in the House of England. Long story short, they find out that it's him. They instate him as a peer. He has been someone who was always among all the poorest classes, and he goes to the House of Lords. They're about to vote whether to give Queen Anne's husband another an increase in salary for doing nothing. The whole story talks about how the nobles have everything and the poor have nothing, and how the nobles um, don't care about the poor, and they are living in their own world, and they're completely unaware of other people, and they just are you know, living their life of luxury while other people are very poor. And so he stands up to the House of Lords, and he says... He gives this whole wonderful speech about um, about how you know how could you do this? You have to open your eyes, and you know you you have everything. And other people have nothing. And then, unfortunately for him, his face comes into the light. And when they see his face, just like he was disfigured to do, they make everyone laugh. Everyone bursts out laughing because that's what his face produces. And he's heartbroken. He leaves. Long story short, everyone he loves dies. Basically, he ends up committing suicide. And it's a very very tragic story. And <laughs> the you know the message of the story is you know rich versus poor you know good versus evil there's a lot of a lot of things there and the part that i think relates here is the twist right so the twist where the guy who was the monster of the story the guy who was well very moral he was always a moral person but you know in the eyes of the world he was considered lowly you know he was in the lowest class like the performer is the lowest class so he turned out to be a noble and the disfigurement was done by the royalty. So I think it could be that Kieran was disfigured or put into this position by someone in the royalty who didn't want him to be, you know, who he really was, whether that's a son of a royalty, a cousin of royalty, nobility, something, and that somebody in the royalty did this to him. So my bet is on the person who's most sus in the royalty, which is I think Queen Elizabeth, which relates to my theory that I think Queen Elizabeth seems like she's a second, I thought you were talking about like the actual queen, and I was like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> anyway, like in England. Sorry, we didn't talk. <laughs> no, no. no, Queen Elizabeth. Um, How Queen Elizabeth is the yeah. real villain of PH. Right. So we haven't really talked about Queen Elizabeth yet, in since we're on thirty-eight. But basically, she she seems very sus, and mm-hmm. been there. But I would not be surprised if she had something to do with. Anyway, so the way I think that the Victor Hugo's novel could relate to this is that Queen Elizabeth had Kieran put into this position 
you know, made into an assassin, made into a monster, so that he can't assume his noble role. Mm. That could be yeah. interesting. It would be very interesting because, like, uh, I'm I'm personally also banking on Kieran being a part of like the aristocracy, like not necessarily a royal, maybe, but like a noble nobility, something like that. I I'm banking on this, and I like I like this theory. Honestly, I don't think Kieran needs to be a royal. Like, I don't think it's really going to be very important to the plot. Like, I guess it adds drama, but I don't really see how the plot would improve from it, aside from getting more readers who are like, you know, the royal assassin or something. I mean, I don't know how that. they would to advertise that, that made yeah, thrillers, right? Yeah, that would be But amazing. I mean... Like I didn't like I don't know I've always kind of had canon that he was like from nobility originally and that's just it's like a personal thing you know yeah. not even really something supported much by plot but more like oh wouldn't that be nice like for me yeah. anyways I'm just like it would add to the drama that's what it it'd would be do. interesting but I don't see it like being super substantial mainly because Kieran is supposed to be like he is foil like class-wise to Lauren and Lauren already is rich and has royal ties probably because like you know her uncle is the chief of police like what super high-ranking man so like I don't know because of Kieran's arc like I just don't see well I'm biased because I know like what happens right in season two when we get those episodes in season two mm-hmm. that we haven't gone to yet. I don't know. I'm biased because like Kieran doesn't need to be a royal and making him one would kind of just be detrimental to who he is and what has shaped him because he does come from poverty and I don't want to drown that aspect of him out with the whole he is a royal plot line. Oh, this could totally tie in very well with the end because I, I know we've talked in previous podcasts about how would we like it to end and you know we we said we would like to see the society in a positive ending right not in a tragedy ending we would like to see the society being overturned right and being helped along and, mm-hmm. and made different so if he's a royal I mean this would totally tie into what happens in Victor Hugo's only we hope it's successful right where the man who should have been a noble ended up growing up in poverty, now understands what the poor class goes through, tries to change the noble class. So in Victor Hugo, because he's a depressing human being and everything ends poorly in his novels, he, you know, he doesn't succeed. But if, if Purple Hyacinth is written as a positive ending, which is not certain, it could be that he will use his position and his experience to try to make changes in society. Oh, I could add to that by saying like, um, in the novel, it says like, he tries, he tries to change how things are done, but then with his deformity, everyone laughs at him. I feel like with Kieran, he'll, if this is how it goes, he could try to change, but with his background and his, what everything that's happened, like, no, it's, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, why, why should we listen to you? Then you have Lauren, who has already been there. She's, she has ties. She can help him out with like support. And she's like, no, actually listen to what he has to say. Perfect power couple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think Kira needs to be a royal. I think it's only detrimental to his character. 
or I, I don't think he needs to be high class say. at all. Like, yeah, Kieran being high class kind of just like it makes him what tragic because he had the potential to be rich, but he wasn't like. That's the it might be the for. opposite of tragic. I mean, yeah, he like and, like his life in the pH. I mean, I know, but like sucks. No, but, but like, like because of that fall from wealth to poverty, he ended up in the phantom scythe, likely because of you know poverty. He ended up in the phantom scythe. And then, you know, he ended up becoming the purple hyacinth. And I feel like if we went with that plot line where it's like he wouldn't have had to go through this had he been rich, it sort of skims over the actual problems of the PH, of like the PH and like the PS, because like someone would have taken his place instead. It just wouldn't have been Kieran. And if we go with like, oh, this could have been avoided had he been rich, it wouldn't have been avoided. It just would have been someone else. I hear your point. I know what you're saying. You're saying it's like, it's unfair and I get it. But I actually, I don't think that, I think it's different because Kieran was specifically, I don't think it's that, oh, he was made poor and then he joined the Phantom Side. I think he was kidnapped and abducted and tortured into the Phantom Side. And I don't think it's that dynamic. But I I, totally, I hear what you're saying is that like, oh, he should have been rich, where you're saying everyone should have been treated nicely, right? It should have been, everyone should have been, had a chance at life. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I understand you correctly. Yeah, but like, because like, I don't know, it feels like, a plot like where all your problems would be fixed if you're rich and well yes that is true it does not everyone does have that privilege like you know to have substantial amounts of wealth or to be even a royal themselves and so like it's just it ignores the actual problem of what makes it a you know what makes it a problem when you're poor and what why being impoverished is a problem and what causes it because Kieran being rich is ironic because he whether if he had lived rich or not like he would have if he lived rich he would have contributed to the same issue that he in like the actual ph suffered in the actual ph reality suffered from i'm sorry i'm like all over the place tonight I can't think straight no it's uh, kind of ironic as well because you could say that for literally any of the privileged characters right had they grown up less fortunate they would probably be in his thing too it just shows like how circumstances shape what you do interesting I mean I I do think I don't think Kieran is is supposed to be emblematic of average poor person who joins Mm. the PS he's clearly singled out you know Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was chosen for a reason, a reason that we don't know yet, whether yeah. it be like survival of him climbing the ranks, whether he was like, I don't know, payback mm-hmm. as revenge or something, like if he's the son of someone important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... Where Kieran started off before he was in the Phantom Scythe was Great Chapel. So, just something we learn later, but. Mm, I don't know if we learned that actually. Yeah, I don't like, I don't no, think he's it's never episode no. sixty-eight. No, he's no, they don't say yeah, that he's from it. there. He just knows yeah. the area. They don't explicitly say that he grew up there or anything. Yeah, he just said I okay, think but it's I, I know implied. No, I know I know the line you're thinking of. I, I know the line you're thinking of. It's the way he phrased it, it 
he said he could have been but yeah. he never said he was yeah i mean like the orphans in gray travel have to come from somewhere though yeah mm-hmm. obviously there's a giant issue there yeah. yeah yeah i think i think the person who would represent the orphans is Bella. um yeah Bella. yeah Bella. Wait, we're not there can we say no certain person <laughs> okay well back to the story <laughs> we're all in theories we've we've only gotten like a quarter way through <laughs> oh, God. Well, we're gonna have another book soon but, <laughs> oh, <goodness. laughs> but i don't think oh. that book will take as long to discuss so anyway lauren you know kind of puts them down and she looks at the books and thinks a bit of a bookworm isn't he and it's a lot of books and she's like why am i so surprised he engages in normal human activities and she shakes her head and you know what you are surprised because you are used to seeing him as you know your image of him is assassin right and you most people to most people that's all he is right they don't think of anything else of him he's just a horrible pa- bad person and you know i think i once said to my husband like he was there was something a friend of ours did and he kept you know repeating that and i said don't judge a person by their worst moment and obviously like for kieran it's not just a worst moment it's like a lot of things but he isn't just that there's more to him and lauren is discovering that and it's unnerving to her yeah i think i think a lot of people like how society him and how lauren sees him as well they all see him as like the entity the purple hyacinth but like no one no one has ever seen the man underneath which is kieran who has completely different like ways he lives his life outside of what he does that's also a way of like de- like dehumanizing to like justify in your head like the only way that he could do these things is they were a bad person like an evil monster or whatever like you know like not human but like he lives and breathes and eats and sleeps she's like you know he's he has hobbies person right and it's kind of weird to step to like think of the oh people are capable of this I think to her anyways especially him because she hasn't really thought of him beyond like their arrangement and what he presents so it's interesting yeah yeah and then she looks at his bookshelf again as she points out another book and everything else is blurred out but we see the secret garden by Francis Hawkson Burnett and she pulls it out for a second and she says I used to read that when I was younger I wonder what his childhood was like. And she flips through it. Was it happy? When did it turn so bad? So before we discuss that, let's discuss the secret garden because I definitely think there's a connection between the secret garden and the story. So mm-hmm. when if you want to talk about the secret garden, because yes, I also reread this book. I happen to have read this book quite a lot when I was a kid and I watched the movie like a billion times, but I also reread it when in preparation for this. <laughs> I, have, I honestly can't remember the plot of this that much. I saw the movie like a couple times when I was younger, but I can't really remember how it goes. <laughs> yeah, because like, I, again, I read the synopsis for the plot. Like I read, I read everything about the plot, but I didn't read the actual book, which is sad because it's on my bookshelf. I just oh, yeah. never read it. <laughs> oh my God, same. Okay, so like last year, so <laughs> last year I was like able to pick up this old copy of The Secret Garden. Like this is like, early pandemic right like mm-hmm. I don't know like right about this time last year and I was like you know I'm gonna read this and then I never did read it because I am illiterate <laughs> and I can't read books okay so I will summarize it for you <laughs> um away. yeah so the secret garden is about this little girl named Mary and Mary grows up in India her parents are um 
you know, British colonizers stationed in India. And they are not very attentive parents. They are, they completely ignore her. She's raised by, raised by her, um, so, what had they call her again? An Indian word for her, like nanny, basically. And uh, Mem Sahib, I don't know. And um, one day her parents die in, um, in the movie, it's like a fire and earthquake, but in the book, it's like typhus or something and everyone dies and she's all alone. And in the end, she's discovered and they send her to England to live with her uncle who she has never seen. And she comes to this house in England and it's this giant manor house and her uncle is gone. Her uncle was married and had a kid, but the wife died. And ever since the wife died, he's been a broken man. He just wanders all around Europe. He ignores his child and he just has never gotten over his grief for, of losing his wife. And Mary is kind of um, left to be on her own. Now, Mary was a very, very spoiled brat. She was around eight when this happened. Eight and she's like around 10 when this whole story happens. She's been very, very spoiled. Um, her, her Indian nanny spoiled her. They, she was, you know, she was like a little terror. She just bossed everyone around. She expects everyone to listen to her. She's been treated on, waited on hand and for her whole life. And she comes to England and she has this maid to help her. But this maid is this very, um, what's her name? I think her name is Martha. Her maid is this, you know, country girl, very like simple, but very emotionally healthy. And she's like, I'm not getting you dressed. You can't dress yourself because Mary, of course, never put on her own dress because her Indian nanny did it for her. And she's like, you know, entertain me. She's like, I'm not entertaining you. You go entertain yourself. Go play outside. You know? So Martha is this very healthy influence for her. And she kind of slowly reparents her really. And Mary, you know, first is lonely and bored. And she eventually starts exploring the house. And this house is very, you know, big and empty. And there's like no one in it. It's very depressing. So she starts going outside and she ends up discovering this secret garden. And this secret garden used to belong to the wife, right? Or her aunt who has died. And we know that this was her special place. She used to tend to it. She made a beautiful garden and the uncle closed it off once she died. He was very depressed. He closed it off. He didn't want anyone going in there, but she finds a way in. This is Robin that helps her. And she sees that, you know, it's all overgrown, but she sees this potential in it. And she ends up going there every day and tending. She starts tending to the garden and that's her occupation. And she grows healthier and she grows, you know, she gets to be less temperamental and she grows nicer. And she ends up meeting um, two boys throughout the course of this story. First, she meets Dickens, who is the younger brother of Martha. So he's around her age and he's this great kid. Like he's just super, um, you know, he's like also around her age and he helps her out with the garden every day and they grow closer and they become friends. He's like a very, very good person. And then one day while she's wandering along in the house, she hears this crying and she discovers that it's another little boy also around her age. He's sitting there in the bed. And who is he? He's none other than her cousin, the uncle's son. And all these years he's been in the house and he was kind of a sickly child. And the uncle was very like worried that he would die because his wife had died. So he treated him like an invalid and, you know, he, everyone around him treated him like an invalid and this little boy thinks he's an invalid. He's like, look, my back is crooked. I'm never going to grow up. I'm never going to be an adult. I have to stay in his bed all day. The sunlight is unhealthy for me. And Mary, you know, becomes friends with him. And eventually she's like, you're not sick. You're just sitting in bed all day, but you're not sick. He's like, no, I am, I am. Anyway, she ends up prompting him. They have this argument and they get into this heated debate. Finally, he like, despite her, he shows her and he goes outside and slowly but surely he keeps going outside. And he also learns to, he also starts helping out in the garden and he also becomes friends with Dickens and they, he just blossoms. And he eventually 
um, you know, they end up building this beautiful garden. This garden is gorgeous. The uncle comes back. They have this whole revelation scene where he's like, look, dad, I can walk. And look, dad, this garden is blooming again and it's beautiful again. And it's a whole metaphor for rejuvenation because both Mary and Collins, her cousin, and the garden were all neglected and they were all unhealthy and they were all not flourishing. And then over time, with, with dedication and you know, a healthy attitude, they all flourished and became happy and healthy and beautiful. So I think there's some points here about a girl and two boys and childhood friends. And if you remember, um, she talks, Lauren mentions that she and Will used to play in her mother's garden. So guys, take it away with your theories. It's not subtle. <laughs> it's not subtle at all. <laughs> Who was friends with someone else? Which little girl had a boyfriend? and a mom with a garden. <laughs> hmm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Which two boys might have been friends? Hmm. <laughs> well, also parents dying. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Living with the uncle. <laughs> the uncle. <laughs> mm, with the the cousin who's very closed off. Right? Yeah, is 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 Will is Will Collins? Interesting. Mm. I was thinking. Well, I don't know who Dickens would be. Who's the healthy kid? Dylan. <laughs> Dylan. Oh, we, yeah. We oh, know his name yet. Oh. oh, sorry. Can we blur <laughs> that? Okay. Anyway? Okay. I don't even. I don't even remember when his name is introduced, but yeah. It's literally, I think it's <laughs> introduced in like the finale. Oh, yeah. In the okay. season finale, <laughs> my dumb self forgot. I'm pretty sure we've dropped it before. It's good. Yeah, yeah. true. <laughs> but so, yeah, because yeah, like the, uh, I'm just gonna call him white hair boy. White hair boy. He um, he was the one who helped with flowers. He tended the garden. You know. A healthy relationship, that sort of thing. And then, like, Will's the one with like the rich parents who, like, he's very closed off. He has a lot of expectations. He's basically crippled by expectations. Crippled by his father's unhealthy expectations. Mm -hmm. Except in the story, the father actually is a nice guy. He's just like traumatized by grief because guess what? His wife died. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Sus. It's <laughs> very sus. It's sus. <laughs> I mean, she ain't so, dead yet, but she ain't dead yet. But she basically did. She and she a corpse, just not a corpse. She like yeah. you know, she a corpse, 90, but not a corpse in the ground. Yeah, like she's a ninety nine percent loading corpse. She, <laughs> she on life support, honey. She's so past life to... support. She's on her. <laughs> she her on life hospice. is already flashing before her eyes. She's just <laughs> oh, god. oh god. So we see a lot of parallels. I'm, I'm trying to make predictions. I don't have any good predictions though. Cause I like, don't know if we can infer any predictions yeah. from this just because it's like more of a thematic thing because like, you could apply the theme of rejuvenation to like many things within the story. So mm -hmm. I feel like we can like the flowers in the garden, let it bloom over time. Yeah, I think it's like, you know, we're only... 39 with the prologue episodes in right now it's a bit early to be thinking about how the series is going to end yeah and i think maybe just strings will be pulled with yeah. that being said do you guys like <laughs> <laughs> <Never. laughs> 
Yeah, I think I think with like the overall we message we can take from this is if in this story the relationships are nourished, they can blossom into something beautiful and healthy. It's a very positive story, by the way. It's like totally not purple hyacinth. There's like some trauma, but like it's mainly very healthy. Like the moral of the story is everything is good, you know, and like be a good person and everything will be good. It's it's very much the opposite of purple. <laughs> Maybe it's just Bye. telling us that purple hyacinth will end with the positive thing, you know? Who's to say? I like yes. the way you think. <laughs> who's to say? Yeah, I don't. Hmm, yeah, I don't think. I really can't see Paige ending in tragedy. Like, you know, all that tragedy for more tragedy. Like, it's realistic. <laughs> but I don't think PH is going to take that route. <laughs> I will take... I just want satisfying. That's what I want. Yeah. Like I said. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just... It needs to come full circle, ending. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want a good ending. I, that's all I want. Yep. Well, that was fun. So we got through four books essentially and their relation to purple hyacinth i think that was a lot of fun Mm -hmm. so and now she thinks about you know she has these really you know she's really thinking about kieran as a person and she thinks back to right i wonder what his childhood was like was it happy when did it turn so bad and she's finally recognizing that maybe he wasn't always this way that he wasn't born an evil monster assassin he was a human being and he still is a human being and something i think she recognizes something must have happened to him to make him be this way Mm -hmm. And also the fact that they both read the same book and she's like, oh yeah, I read this as a child. Like she never pictured him being a child probably yeah. until this moment, right? A child. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> One thing was... <laughs> a child. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, Are you quoting something again? Fine. 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 Oh, okay. Uh, R.A.P. Mindy. We will uh, show you some Vine yeah. compilations, yeah. Mindy. I'll show you the gift. I'll show you the gift. We should like make a video of showing Mindy meme compilations and just make that content. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just like here are all the things we Um, but yeah, so just seeing like like Lauren in this moment, she's like, Oh yeah, he could have been at the same time I was a child, he could have been a child or anything. And he's like, Oh yeah, he wasn't always like you're not born an assassin, you're not born like this. So again, he wasn't always like he wasn't always like this. <laughs> yeah, I and I find it interesting because if you recall back at episode 20, she's just like, like he looked into her background. She never looked down on his because she's like, I have no interest in looking into anything about you. And now, like, where we are. Like, like picking through his books. <laughs> Wondering about his childhood. I how we've come how far we've come but yeah it's a good moment i mean she's in his house and she's opening up to him more yeah even if he's not there the events from the previous <laughs> night also have her being like mm-hmm. oh yeah he's a person a human person <laughs> yeah. anyways um i really like the like setting in this scene like or like just the vibes Mm -hmm. like you know it's a very light blue and it's very calming and peaceful and you really get a sense of lauren right now like even though she's learning a lot of stuff about kieran it's not really like super surprising because of like just i don't know climate 
what I don't know the right word right now but it just it feels like very peaceful and like just realization rather than like shock of learning just definitely it's comforting I can't believe I would say that about Karen's apartment but like it's very cozy. I would chill in there and read some books if I could oh, read. Yeah. Um, I would yeah. move in there actually permanently. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would just space. True. I uh, you know what? I'll sleep on the floor. I'll sleep on the carpet. It's fine. <laughs> Here's a couch. But we just got a bigger bed, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we can stop with these horrible jokes. <laughs> They're not horrible, but <laughs> I had, by the way. I've said many times the, 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 the PH fandom is so mild compared to the Midnight Population fandom. You don't even oh, want to know what comes out of people's mouths and our mouths. For, for so. I read, I read that comic. I'm not in the fandom though. I, I, I've seen the webtoon comments enough to know that I, I'm scared of the Discord server. I'm scared of it. So it's mainly on Facebook. The the fandom is on Facebook more than Discord. Oh, okay. But um, yeah, it's uh quite salty no what's not no thirsty sorry i, I, I used the thirsty. wrong word <laughs> sorry, sorry, this is why i'm not on facebook <laughs> nothing no, they're, on, they're thirsty on instagram too everywhere wherever they are <laughs> I, mean, I feel like okay i feel like on in every single aspect about in the fandom like except for the discord people are like thirsting for kieran however in yeah. the discord psychoanalyzing saying the man has no ass because he does not hey, oh my god so do, do we i need to bring up this argument again try we're to just it is kieran slander 24 7 okay this is server culture fire you cannot no, change it right. because you're correct I, no listen, listen man we're, cannot we're not gonna okay, get again, man. i'm not gonna get into the argument again i already said it last week but exactly just remember we, my words remember yes. my words Woo. we did the episode together i believe <laughs> we're all here you're all here you all heard me <laughs> we know <laughs> okay next <laughs> lauren puts the book back and she's like i shouldn't be looking through this stuff <laughs> she's normally she has some, some bit of self-respect or something and she turns around and she sees a crutch you know it's like uh, against the wall and she has this little smile on her face and she takes it because she sees our Karen boy has been so thoughtful and has procured a crush from who knows where. Maybe he already has one in his apartment because, you know, he's been through I some broke stuff. a leg or two before. <laughs> but he's thoughtful. He also, guys, just saying, he came in her room while she was sleeping. He came in his room while she was sleeping in his bed. <laughs> no, no, bro. I remember when this episode first came out everyone went crazy because he's like yo he saw her in his bed in his shirt no less and it's like y'all i literally what he probably did he opened the door dead yeah, boy, probably no. like put it. Oh my god, like, no. we'll do the bare minimum, and y'all will be celebrating it. Oh my god! <laughs> no, wait, I have Listen, an he's a murderer. We gotta celebrate the bare minimum. Yes. Listen, it's not bare Depressing. minimum. There's Your standards clinic. of men fire disappointing. <laughs> uh, guys, look at the panel. Look at the panel. If he would have wanted to stick that crutch in, all he had to do was open the handle and stick it in to the left of the door. But no, my friends, he opened the door walked around it to the other side of the door and put the crutch there he went in the room okay people proof from the drawing or maybe it was in there from last night because he said that like she would need a crutch last night right so maybe he left it in there 
Yeah. That's why he left it. He's he knew that she. Oh, but like he left no, it like then, when she went in, no, no, no. or she brought but it then, with her. I w- like I what if argue. she walked into that room with the crutch? And no, she, no, 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 wait, no. I will knows, argue. I will argue with that saying. She looked at it, and this panel specifically went like, oh, like oh, oh look, it's there, yeah. and she she smiled at it. It was it not has her the two lines. He did it. He did it. I don't know what time of day or night he did it, but he did it. Well, you know, your boy was up cleaning the blood out of the carpet, so true. <laughs> evidence. Ooh, we got evidence. <laughs> <laughs> because he so, doesn't want to be framed for murder. Like, he already has killed people. But, like, I you know, if people find blood on his carpet, they're going to be like, <laughs> have you killed nice. people? And he's going to be like, no, even though he's, like, the purple hyacinth. No. It's not nice to bring things up like that. You have to sometimes forget things. Okay. <laughs> Important. Wow. Do you, every time you argue with your spouse, do you remember every single bad thing they ever did? No, it's not helpful. Yes. Yes, it's <laughs> yes. yes, you do. <laughs> well, you shouldn't because then you'll always be mad. <laughs> you must learn to forgive and forget. I do, yeah. You forgive yeah. and forget until until they try you. <laughs> yeah, forgive and forget until they cross a line. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, I swear I'm functional. So anyway, um, Lauren comes out of the bedroom. Her shirt does not cover very much. Just saying, <laughs> like she clearly is missing pants. <laughs> and <laughs> and she says, "Kieran." And it's it's a really beautiful scene because you see like the morning light streaming in and this beautiful domestic apartment, all these kitchen tools. I love like the it's like tur- teal color, dark teal wall and green, you know, couch. And he said, "Looks like he's not here anymore." And she thinks to what he said last night where you know she looks at the couch and she thinks what he said you can go sleep in the bedroom i'll take the couch and she wonders did he even sleep at all because she sees he's not here it's early in the morning they came back pretty late and you know she has the crutch and he's out and and the bed looks barely touched the couch couch doesn't yeah doesn't look like he slept on it i mean if he did it doesn't seem like it was for a long time and she looks around and she sees you know a record player um records looks like some photo albums and she thinks they're well yes i guess and i guess not it looks like album photo album to me but i guess not the record player she says, an indie kid. <laughs> he says she says there aren't any pictures which is like not surprising because we don't know what happened to him in his childhood but i'm pretty sure whatever happened either he wouldn't want to preserve the memories or he from the time when maybe it was good he doesn't have any of them yeah he may not have been able to like afford developing photos as well if he did come from a poorer background if he did yeah he probably might not have any to begin with mm-hmm. well i mean with my theory that he was ripped away from his family and kidnapped then he didn't he wouldn't have any anyway yeah so she looks around she sees on the desk she sees some drawings and uh, a stack of papers and she looks in shock and she's like are those and she goes closer and she sees a lot of drawings and a whole pile of papers with a ton of sketches on them and she thinks to herself that's probably what I expected the least coming from him and she takes a closer look you see you know a whole like drawing set and you know so that's you know it's a a nice touch to see that Kieran likes to draw and from what we can see it kind of looks like he likes to draw like people out and about like he kind of looks like he people watches and then kind of like draws what he sees mm-hmm. you know that takes a certain level of like 
just to sit out and draw someone think about like this is the closest I think of in terms of like pop culture like you know Jack from Titanic how he just mm-hmm. like got invested in like the lives and stuff and it's just like you have to be really interested in life and humanity to like yeah. feel that as like your preferred subject so just like Hmm. Man's got a passion for people's lives. Yeah. Oh, that was a little really close. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? That back of me thinking so bad. Oh, dang it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he's he's taking interest in in you know any random person on the street, right? It's not like he's drawing certain people. He's not drawing figure. You know, sorry, he's not drawing um like scenery. He's interested in everyone, and it's totally the opposite of what we would think of him. And of, of the image that he gives off as this heartless, uncaring person. You know, he, he's the opposite. He captures the humanity in, in anybody. Well, he just, he captures life, right? People just living. Mm-hmm. So everything that he can't have, right? A normal People life. Going, yeah. Oh, it's going to be fine. This is getting depressing already. Yeah. And then she sees a door. And she looks at it and she says, that door. And, right, because the door she came from, the other door is the door that she came from. And that door looks like the bathroom. And the other door is the entrance door. So there's one door. And she, of course, because she's curious, she can't let things go. She walks over and and she tries to open it. And surprise, surprise. (laughs) Why is it the only locked door in this apartment? Hmm, I wonder what could be behind that door? I've seen K-pop shrine or something. Oh goodness! Uh, I've seen um theories go from like before we like learned because we know now some of it at least. But like people were like, oh, that's where like he grows the hyacinths, right? Yeah. Um, he 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 keeps bunnies in their hoop. (laughs) Another bunny. Man's in his no. culture. Oh, that was like a year ago. Yeah, yeah. Not like, kind of longer than a year, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nah, could keep bunnies, could keep rocks, you know, anything. <laughs> keep rocks. Yeah. So at, of course, at this moment, by the way, we have like 15 minutes, so just saying. Like, <laughs> cool. So, cool. yeah, at this moment, of course, while she's trying to open the locked door, because of classic, who comes back in the home? Um, we have a Kaj, like, this is a completely startled look, and then the best panel ever. Kieran walks in, <clears throat> his bag slung over his shoulder, the light's coming in behind him, and he's like, Honey, I'm home. I love and- this song. <laughs> <laughs> no, just the first thing I saw, the first thing I thought when I saw this panel, just like, I want his boots, I want his shoes. You, like, really? straps up, up to the knee. Yes, the straps and, like, the, what uh, is the, aesthetic. the aesthetic. Fire. They look like those, like, what are they called? Like, Desmonia? Demonias? I don't remember what that brand is called. But, you know, those, like, platform boots where yes. they have, like, those, like, pokey straps. Yes. He's wearing those. Yes. <laughs> you know, you don't know how many hours <clears throat> I spent trying to find these shoes. Anyways, moving on. Yeah, so there's the shoes, but I think the, the more essential part of this panel is, you know, Kirin, there's two aspects to him, right? There's the part of him that makes fun of everything and that exaggerates and is sarcastic. So ostensibly on the outside, he's saying, honey, I'm home because it's ironic. But I think 
deep down on the inside, this is what he really wants in his life. He wants to have people to come home to, people who care about him, people who are there for him. And you know what? I know we always say like romantic lahonic. It doesn't matter either way. He wants intimacy, friendship, love, caring, affection, a safe home where he can be. And I think that him saying this is sarcastic, but I also think that it's a genuine cry for what he really wants in his life. Good, Mia. I just, I like to picture him just like walking up to the door and just like thinking, just like, oh, I got this. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That too. It's, you know, it's, it's both at the same time. But Lauren is not ready for that because she just rolls her eyes and is like, good morning, subordinate, you know, deliberately using a distancing term, right? To show him, no, we're not at that relationship yet. And she asks, where have you been? And (laughs) that next panel, people, is incontrovertible proof that Kieran is stunned by her appearance because he has this completely shocked look at her face he's looking down i'm sorry people he's looking at her legs okay that's where his eyes are are. and you see this beautiful panel of lauren looking stunning kind of oblivious to his attention on her and to the fact that she's so beautiful she's there leaning on the crotch in his pajamas or in his shirt long-legged vision Mm -hmm. he's like oh yeah she slept in my bed in my room and he's kind of like thrown for that like he kind of I maybe he didn't really think about it too much but then like he came home and he's like oh oh yeah I did that he probably like left the shirt like in the room or something for exchange he hasn't seen her in it until this point so it's like he's kind of thrown by kind of the intimacy of it because like even beyond the shirt it's like I haven't had anybody come to this house before and Mm -hmm. she's in my clothes in my bed in my house like it's it's odd for him and but also it's like she's pretty like it's it's that too like Like, the way that the the gaze is framed like the way that the thing is drawn it it draws lauren so long like it he's clearly like looking at her Mm -hmm. yeah i i love it and i was gazing yeah like i didn't notice that but i i think it's just like him like putting the bag down and stuff but I'm like I like to think he's just like oh <laughs> also I, I just want to say like Lauren really just like gave no, gave not a single f right here <laughs> just I I don't know personally I just if I was in that situation like I was just wearing like a guy's shirt who I personally don't know that well I would just be like Please, please don't. Do not, do not see me, sir. Like the level of confidence, my goodness. And I also think it's because she does not have any feelings towards Kieran, you know, Kieran at this point. She yeah. isn't uncomfortable around him because she just sees him as a person. I mean, she's finally starting to see him as a person, but you know what? She didn't, she doesn't see him as like someone she's nervous around or someone she's, you know, whose feel, opinion of her, she really cares about that much. So yeah, she's not, she doesn't have that yet. But Kieran does for her he's falling first (laughs) and but of course he you know recovers and he's like oh there you are i see that you've slept well and lauren's like obviously more than you did which is like excuse me lauren are you accusing him say thank you girl listen it takes it takes one insomniac to know another one like we all know this man slept like maybe an hour probably less 
I think knowing what Kieran was doing that night, like when we eventually find out, I'm like, Lauren, tear him up. (laughs) (laughs) Destroy him. Like, obliterate his lifeline. Yep. So, (laughs) at this point, he's like, Lauren, your face. And he like points. And she's like, huh, what? Is there something in my face? And she like grabs her face. And then bam he just throws a double bag at her face because i think he's uncomfortable with this intimacy you know he obviously craves it but he's not used to it so he's like okay i have to defuse this and make this you know back to levity and like back to our old antagonistic relationship and just throws it in her face (laughs) it's cute (laughs) and he you know lies as he walks past her while she's struggling with the duffel he's like you still have pillow marks on your face (laughs) it's very funny lauren obviously gets upset but then she opens up the duffel bag and she's like, oh, thanks. And she thinks to herself, he really did bring the bag from the cave. Great. At least though it won't look like a mad woman in front of the whole office. So she does appreciate it. And, you know, she, she has this, this imagination of like Will and Kim and everyone like looking at her with her like torn, stitched up hand and torn maid outfit <laughs> coming to the office. It's like, hey, what's up, fam? How you doing? <laughs> How you doing this fine day? Hello, fellow kids. Hello, fellow kids. How do you do, fellow APD officers? Yes. <clears throat> yep. And <clears throat> Kieran is crunching on an apple beside behind her while she sighs, gets the bag, and he asks her, How are you holding up? And Lauren's like surprised because it's like a caring question. It's like a normal human question. <clears throat> And she turns around and says, the stitches still sting a little, but at least it didn't start bleeding again. And my ankle isn't killing me anymore, so I'll be fine. And then we have this shot of Kieran with his cute face, just like, you know, chomping on an apple. And we see Lauren looking at him a little suspiciously. And then another close-up of him crunching. (laughs) And so I think, and then what happens is, is that he like coughs and looks away from her, averts his eyes and says, there's a cab waiting for you outside. I've already paid the driver. So I think that this moment was, you know, them looking at each other as human beings, Lauren with her new, her new image of Kieran based on being in his house and, you know, seeing how he cared about her enough to get her clothing. And, you know, so she's like giving him a look and, you know, he's responding normally, like he's being himself, you know, he's eating an apple again, we've never seen him eat before. And he's being a person and doing normal person activities and I think that that's what's going on between them they're like seeing each other as people and then Kieran gets uncomfortable and changes the conversation oh I see I remember the first time I read this I interpreted this as just the awkward silence of being with like a person you don't know that well it's just like hi definitely yeah, and Kieran, by the way, listen, he's already got in the cab and paid the driver. I mean, this man is a gentleman. I mean, he could have made her food, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> you Maybe right. after like a little baggie with lunch. Gives <laughs> <laughs> her a banana. Just like, take it, leave. <laughs> listen, we can't expect perfection. So. Yeah, true. So she's like, hmm, thanks. And then, you know, Kieran, again, to go back into his, like, antagonistic mode, you know, because he was uncomfortable with the intimacy they had for, like, five seconds, says, if I ever find out you've looked through my things while I was out, that's true. Know that I might have to kill you. So 
So yeah, he's just joking. He doesn't mean it, <laughs> but he feels the need to like go back to that strict, you know, commanding personality because he's uncomfortable with the the closeness that they had for like again five seconds. And he's trying to push that back. You know, it's like a push and pull, right? He wants it, but he feels uncomfortable with it because he hasn't had it in his life. Touch and go, yeah. I mean, I also think just if someone went through my things without me knowing and behind my back, I would also be kind of pissed. True. Especially since he's so closed off to begin with. He's just kind of like, the hell are you doing? Maybe he doesn't even think that she would snoop because she's already made it clear that she's not interested in his past. So I think maybe he was just jabbing. It's like, yeah, like you going through my shit. Wouldn't that be funny? And Lauren's just there like, um, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So have you finished that book yet? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's even a way of like kind of wishing that she had gone through his stuff, that she expressed enough interest in him to do so. Mm. (laughs) But then he follows up with, go put on some decent clothes before you go to work. You don't like got the wrong idea about your job. <laughs> Lauren's like, what? She throws, I don't know what she throws, some random jar at his head. <laughs> he called her a hoe. Damn. He really yeah. said, you you dress him like a hoe. I. <laughs> you gave her that outfit. You're in. Your shirt. It's and your You know stuff. that he's... Like, you know, he's got the shirts with the drawstring. So, no, if she's dressed up, that one, though. <laughs> no, no, but all I will say is just like, if she's, if she's dressing like a hoe in the clothes you gave her, sir, I think we need to have a talk about who's the hoe here. I love this so much. <laughs> and then she just slams the door of the bathroom, presumably, where she's going to go get dressed. <laughs> Anyway, and then we see, you know, there's a bit of a blank space, so passage of time, and focus on the window, and we see her come out, and she's fully dressed. She says, thank you for everything. I'll be leaving now, and she pulls down her hat, and then we see her. Kieran turns around. He's like, hmm, it's not your usual uniform. Looks like he's doing something in the kitchen, and then we see Lauren, and she is indeed wearing a different uniform, and she looks very serious and beautiful also, and it's, she's wearing like a more formal uniform. The either. dress uniform. Yeah. yeah. I love I love the low bun on the low bun on her. It looks very nice. Very elegant. Fired by Lauren McKeeran, right? He's the low bun guy. Oh yeah. <laughs> Spends one night in his house and already adopting his fashion. Well, I don't know. We see Lauren wear low buns a lot later on in the series, but this later on, yeah. Such such an underrated outfit. I know it's because it's overshadowed by what she's actually going to, but it's like, <laughs> I mean she's showing up in style. hmm Definitely. Um, and she tells him, you know, she looks down, right? And her eyes are obscured by the hat. And she says, it's Harvey's funeral today. And yeah, that's the end. That is cool. The unfortunate. Mm-hmm. So it's a somber that moment. kind of ends the hijinks night arc. Indeed. Iconic, legendary, amazing. Yeah. What can you say? That was the best. Uh, I, just... I love mm-hmm the author's note if you read the first part of the episode without the dialogue it looks like lauren is in an escape room with no pants <laughs> not wrong true i just i i can't imagine what she's feeling right now where it's just like after everything she found out the night before she now has to go to this man's funeral it's that's got to be awkward So guys, we are going to have to end this episode. This was a really, really good episode. I 
enjoy this so much as I knew I would because it's a great episode and I love doing it with you guys. Yes, thank you for having us again. Yes, thank you. Yes, and we finally did it. Woo so Yay. Third time's a charm. Yeah, now let's hope nothing happens to this file, which has never happened before, but like, you know, uh, gets I'm corrupted. Nervous. I'm nervous. We have to re-record. <laughs> As my right. status on Discord says, need it for Jesus. Hey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Have a great night. Okay. Good night. Good Thank you so much to my current patrons, Susie, Lee, Lepris, Lily, Jenny, Haley, one and only Taco, Elizabeth, Maria, Molly, Veronica, Emily, Emily, Joe, Rochelle, Saucy, Tuggles, Big, Anne, Rose, Priya, Alexa, Misty, Laura, Joanne, Patty, Jen, Emilda, Shannon, Esther, I'm watching you, Taurus, Poppy Seed, Marie, Jen, and Emily, Jean. Your support is truly appreciated. <laughs>